Good to have you all here with us today. Today, I would like to share with you a message called an act of grace. Now, if you're at home on YouTube, don't adjust your screen. Don't fiddle with the dials. It's okay. I am not Creighton Beatty. Okay. Creighton and Deb are actually on vacation, hopefully relaxing, having a good time, having some good weather, and enjoying themselves. And I'm Doug Davis, uh, elder here at the Christian Church of Mantino. Today I want to share you a story of David, who is the anointed king of Israel, anointed by God's prophet Samuel, and Mephibosheth. He's the grandson of Saul, the current king of Israel. But let's first of all take this message before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come up here. Lord, uh, you put these messages in our hearts and you ask us to share them with your people. Help the message to come across the way you want it to, uh, to bring a, a message and bring light and hope to those who need it. Lord, we just uh, thank you for the blessings of safe travels for, uh, for uh, Creighton and Deb and just uh, bless them in every way as well uh, with some time to just refresh themselves. And we just thank you and ask this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Most of today's message will be coming from 2 Samuel chapter 9. I copied it from the New Living Translation. I like the, the wording, the English wording they use there. Um, but to begin with, I don't want to dive right in there. I think we need to have a, a bit of understanding of the times and of where this took place to really get a feel for the importance of and, and what was all going on there at that chapter. So to begin with, you need to understand that the successions of kings in those days was a bloodthirsty event. At times, the incoming kings were ordered by God to remove this evil family that had come before them. At other times, the incoming king would simply take it upon himself to completely secure the throne by wiping out entire families of the previous kings. That's simply the way it was done. A uh, couple examples, and if you want to see bunches of examples, you know, the kids always say, well, I want to read something, you know, uh, blood and guts and gore and chopping off arms and heads and legs, and your mom says, no, no, you can't read that. And he says, well, I'm just going to read the Bible. <laughs> well, it, it, it's all in there, trust me. First and second Kings, um, we can see an example. First Kings 16, verses 10 and 11, we read that uh, Zimri came in, struck him down, and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah. Then he succeeded him as king. And as soon as he began to reign and was seated on the throne, he killed off Bashao's whole family and didn't spare a single male, whether relative or friend. So it didn't matter if you were a friend of the incoming king. If he thought you were a foe, somebody that could be, not be trusted, that was it. Second uh, Kings 10.11 talks about, uh, So Jehu killed everyone in Jezreel who remained of the house of Ahab, as well as all his chief men, close friends, and his priests, leaving him no survivors whatsoever. That was the way it was done. And again in 2 Kings 11.1, 1, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. Nothing worse than a mother's revenge. She was mad. Now, why do I tell you this? What, what's the purpose of knowing that, other than it's pretty exciting stuff? Um, having been raised in the palace as a the king's grandson, Mephibosheth, would have been trained and taught. He would have been taught in reading, writing, arithmetic, and kingly successions. He would have known about that. He would have understood that's the way it goes. He would also understand that as long as grandpa sat on that throne and was alive, he would be safe 
and cared for. So that's a little background on a history of those things. What about David? As a young man, David actually served at the palace of King Saul. This was post-Goliath, by the way, okay? And you, you can read that story. I didn't, I'm not going into that whole thing. But he would serve there at the palace, and oftentimes when the king would get in one of his maniacal moods, uh, David would be called upon to play music and to soften him and to comfort him. And David, of course, had a best friend there at the palace. Just happens to be King Saul's son, Jonathan. Yes, Don, Jonathan and David were BFFs, to, to coin the phrase. They were just the greatest of friends, and they had an amazing friendship. But David, David began to realize that there was something a little off, and he came to the conclusion that King Saul was trying to murder him. Well, he, of course, confided this information in his best friend, Jonathan, who happens to be Saul's son, and Jonathan said, no, no way, my, no, 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 just, just no, no, my dad, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. So Jonathan promised to help David to prove that Saul wasn't trying to kill him. But as those things always go, he ended up proving that indeed his dad was trying to kill him. And so then he encouraged David to get out of town, get out of Dodge, go, flee for your life, because it's not worth it. My dad is trying to kill you. So David and his friends were going to flee for their lives. But when they came to that realization, and the last recorded meeting that they had between David and Jonathan, we pick that story up in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Okay. And it says there, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is my witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. So they had a sworn oath, one to another. They were the best of friends. That time, it doesn't state how long it was. David was on the run. Uh, Basically, David and his small band were able to stay just one step ahead of Saul and his army while they were on the run. But of course, Saul couldn't be spending all of his time trying to find David and search him out and kill him. He also had other things to deal with, like the Philistines. Remember the Philistine Goliath? Well, the Philistines were once again up and at it and attacking Israel. So Saul and his sons and his armies went to meet the Philistines. Now this, picks, this story comes from 1 Samuel chapter 31. Uh, it's starting, we're going to go from verse 1 through verse 6. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. And Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. He had a very low opinion of Philistines. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And when the armor-bearer saw that, the armor-bearer saw that Saul had, was dead, he too fell on his own sword and died, because he was afraid of what those Philistines would do to him if he was still alive. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. So Saul has now passed away, along with 
Jonathan and his other two sons. As soon as word of what happened there on Mount Gilboa got back to the palace, well, we have to find out just how things changed. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Second Samuel chapter 4, the, the one we want to look at is verse 4. Now, Second Samuel chapter 4 talks about a lot of the different things that happened. After the death of a king, there's a lot of people all vying for the throne and different ones going on. But the one that's important is chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, son of Saul, who had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. Might say more disabled, since he was already lame in both feet. And his name was Mephibosheth. So now we have the connection between David and Mephibosheth. Following this, of course, David then took control of the armies. They were true to him. He had been a commander in Saul's armies prior to his running and fleeing for his life. So the men held great respect for him. And it talks about over the next 15 years, the armies of Israel under David's command were able to subdue and bring into subjection all of the surrounding territories, whether it was the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, all the different surrounding groups. And they basically formed the, the future of the powerhouse that was Israel of the time. Uh, and following that, of course, the leaders of the different sections of the Israel came together, and we see in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, it says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, that's where he had his headquarters at the time, and they said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. And when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over all Israel. Finally, finally it was time for some peace in the land. Finally, it was time for David to take his rightful place at the palace, king of Israel. And thus we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he still remembered his best friend, hadn't forgot him at all. And he summoned a man named Ziba, who has been one of the Saul's servants as well, and said, Are you Ziba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. And then the king asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. Uh, he is crippled in both feet. Well, where is he? the king asked. In Lodibar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makur, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Makur's home. His name was Mephibosheth, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. Now, consider, if you will, what Mephibosheth knew. 
He knew about how kingly successions worked. He knew that he'd been able to live for 15 years in Lodabar, doing fairly well, I'm certain. And then came the fateful day. The knock at the door, and the king's envoy has sent to cast Mephibosheth to come to the palace. One might consider Mephibosheth's frame of mind. He most likely called his close friends around and said, hey, come on over. My herds, my sheep, and all my cattle, would you, would you continue to take care of those when I'm gone? And hey, my clothes, I'm not going to need all my robes. I just want the one fancy, ornate one that I will wear when I come before the king. See, Mephibosheth had two choices. He could obey the command of the king and to come to the palace, or he could run for his life. I'd like to remind you that he is lame in both feet. He had one choice, and so he made that choice. But you got to wonder what went through his mind. The King David sent for him. He most likely had a transport of some sort. But Mephibosheth gets on board the transport, sees his friends off, hugs everybody goodbye, comes on board, and he starts going through his mind. I wonder how it will be. Perhaps he'll hang me, stretch me by my neck till I'm dead. I always wanted to be a little taller, you know, being lame. I was ready. Nope. There's no gallows by the palace, so it won't be a hanging. Oh, oh, please, no. Not one of those nasty spikes where they put my body up on display for everybody to see. Oh, those were terrible. Wait. King David. King David is a mighty warrior. Perhaps when I come before him in the throne room, he'll draw out his sword and simply run me through. That would at least be an honorable way to die, wouldn't it? All these thoughts running through Mephibosheth's mind. One can only imagine what he's thinking. King David has sent these people to get him and bring him to the palace. Now, we don't have to guess at what's going to happen next. We just get to keep on reading. But mindset, think about this. Mephibosheth knows in his heart of hearts, he He's a dead man walking. That's it. Dead man walking here. Let's pick up the story once again in chapter 9, the second half of verse 6. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. But something about the way he replied to David caught David's attention. Something in his manner led David to say the next words. And in verse 7, David starts with, Don't be afraid. You know when the angels would show up to announce something great and glorious? Or they'd announce or, or speak to one of the, one of the prophets of old? It, it would always prefaced with, don't be afraid. So David used those words to try and calm Mephibosheth because he could see the fear. He could see where Mephibosheth was coming from, his mindset, what he believed. Obviously, I'm thinking he was shaking when he said, I am your servant. And David said to him, don't 
be afraid. David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Boom! Mind completely blown. Okay? Of all the things that Mephibosheth had imagined and expected, this was not, not, not even envisioned in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, his reply tells us that he hadn't even considered this aspect of it at all. Okay? We pick up his reply in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8. And Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth had truly expected to die that day. But you see, David, David hadn't taken the throne. He hadn't taken the throne by force. He had been given the throne as a gift from God. So he wouldn't do things man's way. He would do it God's way. And God's way is the way of grace. We read on in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything, everything that belonged to Saul and his family, and you and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he was quite a wealthy among the servants. He was a top-notch servant. And Ziba replied, Yes, my lord the king, I am your servant. I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. What an awesome story of grace that David showed Mephibosheth because of the love and friendship he had for his father, Jonathan. That was a friendship that would span generations and a story that would go on and live even today through the word of the Bible. And yet, as amazing as that story is, there's another story in the Bible about a king you see, this king also had a son. And his son looked down upon the people, and he saw how sin had completely captured the people, and that without a savior, there was no end for them except death. So he chose to take on the form of a human, to live the perfect life, and to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for sin once for all of mankind. John 1, verses 12 through 14, puts it this way. It says, Yet to all who do receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, 
we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And just as David promised a place at his table there in the palace for Meshibotheth, Jesus also promised to return to the Father and to prepare a place for each and every one of us. In John 14, verse 1 through 3, it states, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see, that gift of grace is also freely given to all those who would receive. We simply need to ask, to say, yes, I accept that gift of grace that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for me, bled for me, died for me, and resurrected for me to live eternally. He's prepared a place and a way for each of us. We simply have to say, we believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gift of eternal life that your Son promised to each and every one who would believe. And we ask you to, to put it on the hearts of people that they will understand that, that they will more fully accept it, and that they will accept your Son Jesus' gift, freely given for eternal life. And we thank you that you, through your word, have shown us these examples that we might be able to share them with others. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.